welcome to the Amateur Podcast. My name is Ryan O'Connor, and today I'm talking to Janet Mello-Tice. Janet is a post-secondary educator who teaches teachers, like myself, how to use mindfulness in our classrooms. She is also a professional photographer, public speaker, and branding coach. And today she's going to talk to us about how to develop a mindfulness practice in our lives. Hi, Janet. Welcome to the show. Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me. So I guess my first question is, what is mindfulness? How would you define this concept? That's a great question, and there's many different answers to it. I think probably the one that I like best is a very simple explanation that uh, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn, who is one of the sort of, I guess, best known practitioners of mindfulness who brought mindfulness sort of to a North American context and sort of took away some of the more religious aspects of it, you know, from Buddhism and that sort of thing. And the way he defines it is that mindfulness is simply about living our lives as though they really matter by paying attention to the present moment. And so, and it sounds so simple and yet is so difficult, right? This idea that, you know, for example, this morning, I know I took a shower, but was I there for it? <laughs> Not really, or at least I was in and out as it were. So I really like that definition of mindfulness. And so the really interesting thing then is that we can be mindful at any moment in our lives. So, you know, we'll talk a little bit, I guess, about this in terms of how do you practice, but, you know, you don't have to sit down on a cushion. You probably can't see it since we're doing a visual call here, but I have a cushion behind me and I can sit down on the cushion and I can, you know, sit down and now I'm practicing mindfulness, but I can be present in any moment of any given day. So that's sort of how I would define mindfulness. Because, hmm. uh, yeah, you mentioned sitting down in one place and a lot of people, when they think of mindfulness, they think of meditation. But I guess what you're saying here is that it's, uh, it could be related to meditation, but it's sort of, it's all encompassing. It encompasses kind of everything we do. Yes, absolutely. I think another way to define it that's very helpful is to think of it simply as awareness. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, we can do mindful eating, being aware of what we're eating, many of us, you know, sort of scarf down our meals without actually tasting any of the food that we've just had, mm -hmm. or we can do mindful walking or mindful running, you know, whatever it is that you like doing, you can do that mindfully. If you sort of bring attention and awareness to what it is that you're doing in that moment, then from my perspective, that quote qualifies as mindfulness. So it's not necessarily, you know, sitting down in the lotus position, which I can't do anyway, because my body just doesn't do it. It's not necessarily sitting down in lotus position and chanting, you know, mantras, which is also a form of, of meditation. For me, it's really about trying to be aware of where I am in any given moment and also being aware of thought patterns. Our thought, especially as academics, our thought patterns tend to turn into these narratives that are not always supportive of, you know, how we might react in ways that are perhaps kinder or empathic towards others. Um, and sometimes also we get bogged down by patterns of thought that are problematic. Mindfulness, we become aware of those thought patterns and realize that they're really just thoughts. Yeah. Interesting. So um, I know there's a lot of academic research out there about the many benefits of mindfulness. 
But I'm just uh, wondering from your own experience, what are some of the key benefits that you've noticed from developing a mindfulness practice? Yeah, there are many benefits to developing a mindfulness practice. Uh, Scientifically speaking, so I've done some work, I guess it was about two or three years, I worked with the sort of mindfulness leadership program at York University, where we were running research studies on how different people were reacting biologically, physiologically to mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And we noticed quite a few things there. First, resiliency, developing grit. So, you know, mindfulness would not be very useful if it was only, if it was only something we did when things were going well. So one thing that I've noticed with mindfulness is that it is very helpful in terms of dealing with a crisis situation, like for example, a pandemic (laughs) might be one example we can consider for, you know, those of us who are dealing with any kind of major life situations. I actually started using mindfulness practice It was actually before I had to give a talk in Montreal. And back then I was a very nervous public speaker. I'm not as nervous anymore, but it was the, I I hired a coach to help me get through this. And she suggested to practice mindfulness. And I said, well, hang on, I'm not doing, I'm not sitting still. I'm, I'm more of a type A personality. I don't sit still very well. But when she sort of said, look, this is not about sitting in lotus position. It's simply about paying attention to breathing. Mm-hmm. She broke it down in very small, uh, very small tasks for me. I just want you to pay attention to your breathing for 30 seconds. Okay, let's try 60 seconds. I found that I could do that while giving the talk, which really helped me to stop, you know, running away with, you know, what if I fail or what if I forget something or what if I can't answer someone's questions? It's a really good way of grounding yourself. And then later on in my life, when I dealt with other major uh, traumatic events, I found that I returned back to mindfulness as a way to try and deal with sort of the ups and downs of life. So one of the biggest benefits, I think, of mindfulness is that it helps us to be very resilient Mm -hmm. in the ups and downs of life. That's one thing. Another thing that I have found is that it really helps with distraction. Yeah. We are uh, so distracted as a culture these days. And it's not even, it's not even that it fixes the distract. It doesn't. I'm not going to suggest to anyone that, hey, here you go. Five minutes a day and your distraction will go away. What it does do, though, is it makes you very aware when you are distracted. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so just the awareness itself, you start to realize, oh, okay, I need to do something to refocus. Yeah. For example, this morning, it was a me handing my phone to my husband and saying, take that away from me so that I can get some work done without constantly checking, you know, Twitter or Instagram or whatever other media platform, you know, I decide to look at. So mindfulness is very helpful in terms of making us aware of when we're distracted. So it also helps with cutting down on procrastination significantly. I could use that. Yeah, we all can. (laughs) We all can. So that's another huge benefit that I found. Very good for dealing with anxiety. Yep. Because anxiety typically comes from thinking about future events which haven't even occurred yet. Mm-hmm. And so because mindfulness is very focused on the present moment now, this breath and then this breath, it really does a good job of helping us move out of a future that we can't control or of a past. Right. That we no longer can control. 
So, you know, certainly it really does a good job of, of dealing with anxiety. And then other things, you know, in terms of the studies that we did, we found some other interesting things. It uh, lowers blood pressure, slows down your heart rate, reduces cortisol, which is a stress hormone, which, you know, sort of brings in that fight or flight response, which is not always appropriate these days. Um, so there's a lot of physiological, physical benefits, but I think probably the, the biggest ones I would say are dealing with things like anxiety, distraction, and uh, resiliency, building resiliency. Yeah, distraction is definitely something that I can relate to because, I mean, so much of what I do in my life and a lot of people are similar, I think, um, we want to be distracted and we have all this technology to distract us. So like when I'm washing dishes, I listen to podcasts or music. Uh, when I'm cleaning, same thing. Um, so do you think it's difficult for a lot of people to be mindful nowadays because we have all these distractions everywhere and also because we seek out these distractions? Yes, 100%. I think it is very difficult for us to be mindful these days. I mean, imagine... So I just finished up another training program on mindfulness and I started bristling with irritation when one of the suggestions from the, the uh, mindfulness leader was the next time that you work out, I want you to not have your phone with you, not listen to music, just focus on paying attention to how your body behaves mm -hmm. during this exercise regime. And so, you know, I was doing weights and I just found myself really struggling with just finishing my workout because I would pause and think, where's the music? Yeah. It, it's really hard. And I think the other thing that's difficult for us is we're very overwhelmed. Yeah. And so, you know, Netflix, TikTok, Instagram, you name them. They're, they're very helpful for taking us away from, you know, what we're doing in the present moment. The only problem is that as we get carried away and sucked into this vortex, we also tend to lose touch with ourselves, which I think is where a lot of our anxiety and fears about the future and regrets about the past sort of bring us into this, especially now. I see this in my classroom. I see it with my, my kids. I see it with my friends. I see a lot of anxiety about the future because there's so much uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think that our doom scrolling is helping us right now. <laughs> Definitely not, but it's so hard to stop, isn't it? There's, uh, there's so much doom and gloom, and I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. I just, I, for some reason, I feel like I have to know. I have to know if something bad is happening. I just have to know. Otherwise, I don't know why I have to know, but <laughs> it's just a feeling I have, you know? So how do we, where do we begin? How do we develop a mindfulness, pro, pro, um, a mindfulness practice? Where do we begin with the mindfulness practice? Amazing question. I think... Before you even begin a mindfulness practice, I think probably the best way to begin is to start with that phrase, that this is a practice, which is to say it's not a competitive sport. It's not something that, you know, okay, I'm going to start this practice. I'm going to start, you know, meditating today by sitting on a cushion for 45 minutes and I'm going to clear out my brain. If you clear out your brain for 45 minutes successfully, then something is really wrong because that's not how brains work. So I guess the first thing I would say is to let go of what you might think a mindfulness practice is. Okay. And I would start with very, very short 
moments of, you know, maybe for 30 seconds at a time, sitting wherever you are, maybe closing your eyes only because it's helpful to get rid of the distractions mm -hmm. and simply focusing on your breath. 30 seconds at a time. It, it doesn't have to be a marathon. Yeah. There are many different resources that you can look at online that will do guided meditations for you. Probably the ones that I like the best are the ones that John Kabat-Zinn, Dr. John Kabat-Zinn provides. There are tons of apps, you know, calm.com and smiling mind. And there's, there's tons of different resources, but I would really just start with 30 seconds or 60 seconds. That's how I started very small moments where you're just trying to be aware of your breathing. And when that happens, your thoughts will wander. That's what the brain is supposed to do. And I think where a lot of people get frustrated and will say things to me like, I just, I can't, I failed, is that this is not, it's not a test. Mm -hmm. It's not something you can do well or not well. It's really just a matter of practicing. And so for the 30 seconds, that you're paying attention to your breath, if your mind wanders, all you need to do is notice, oh, my mind is wandering. Okay, let's go back to the breath. Mm -hmm. And in, you know, in a 60 second period, you may have to bring your mind back to your breath a hundred times. Mm -hmm. It's actually the bringing your mind back to your breath that is the really helpful practice because if you just for a moment imagine you're in a really crisis situation where you're trying to deal with something if you've had a lot of practice with constantly coming back to the present moment yeah it's amazing how helpful it is during that moment when you want to be able to respond in a way that's you know with clarity and lucidity and yeah. calm that you've had all this practice where you're just bringing your thoughts but you know sort of letting the thoughts go coming back to the present moment and then, you know, being aware of, of where you are. It's amazingly helpful. So I really would start very, very small. Okay. So you say uh, 30 seconds to a minute. How do you remind yourself to do this? Because maybe that's uh, something a lot of people have trouble with and maybe the apps are helpful for that. How, how do you, how would you suggest people um, sort of, I don't want to use the word force, but force themselves to just sit and um, monitor their breath, monitor their thoughts for 30 seconds to a minute? I would probably suggest, well, there's a couple of different ways you can approach it. So let me start by breaking this down. There is a difference between what I might call formal meditation practice. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm now going to sit down on my cushion and I'm going to set my timer for let's say two minutes and I'm going to focus on my breathing for two minutes. I'll, I'll call that a formal meditation yeah. versus I'm gonna go for a walk now because I've been sitting at my desk for too long for 30 minutes and I'm gonna try to pay attention to the walk as I'm walking, right? Or, or you know, I consider that it's an informal thing, yeah. right? right? I would suggest that for someone who's just starting out, a good way to remember is to do it either first thing in the morning Mm -hmm. wake up or mm -hmm. last thing at night before you go to bed. Mm. So I, for, so it's an interesting thing. I like the way that other meditators have talked about this by saying, you know, when we wake up in the morning, our first response is, you know, feet on the floor. I'm already late. Jump into the shower, you know, whip my breakfast down my throat and not be awake for any of it. And so one way that I really like thinking about it is when we wake up, let's just finish the job. Yeah. Let's just, let's wake up fully. And so I, 
I mean, I'm a big fan of stickies, so I'll have a little sticky that says, wake up, are you awake? And so I'll spend, you know, two or three minutes when I wake up in the morning. Yes, I am awake. Mm -hmm. I am here. Mm -hmm. And and then for me, it's a matter of it's just something I do every day. You know, every day I I work out for at least an hour and every day I meditate for me somewhere between 10 to 20 minutes every day. Mm -hmm. Most studies show that 10 minutes a day will give you all of those physiological um, and biological benefits. And by those, I mean, lower cortisol, lower blood pressure and so on. So I try for 10 to 20 minutes a day. And I, I don't remember the name of the Zen teacher who said that if you're too busy on any given day to meditate for 10 minutes, then you should meditate for 20 minutes. Yeah. Right. Because it suggests that maybe, maybe we're too focused on doing rather than being. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So do you definitely recommend that people who want to develop a mindfulness practice do definitely recommend we do both the formal sitting down meditation part of it and the informal being mindful when we're doing other things? Do you recommend both of those things? So here's the cool thing about meditation. And I did not expect this when I first started practicing mindfulness because I started because I was in the middle of a, a crisis. And then I left meditation for a while, but came back when my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and it was a really difficult situation. And I came back in this crisis moment and I haven't left meditation since then. So here's the really awesome life affirming thing about mindfulness. Once you start practicing formal meditation, once you become aware of this awareness that you have, mm-hmm. you'll do it informally all the time. Mm. It's really cool, actually. Mm. So, you know, for I'll give you an example. This morning, I was writing for my dissertation because I'm finishing up my PhD. And in my head, I'm thinking, you can't do this. You're never going to finish this. You're never going to look at that blinking cursor. And then for a moment, I just sort of, I thought, oh, hang on a second. I'm thinking that's not helpful. And so I just let those thoughts go. And I thought, cool, that was meditation. (laughs) That was mindfulness. So I guess all I'm saying is you you can't, once you turn it on, once you start realizing, once you start waking up, Mm -hmm. you don't really go back to sleep. You'll go back to sleep for, you know, there are long stretches at a time. You know, for example, when I watch Netflix, I mean, Netflix is so wonderful because it, you know, it starts the next episode for you and you don't have to give it any thought. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm not suggesting that, you know, I am always awake. No, not at all. But I do sort of drop into this awareness throughout my day since I've started practicing formally. So it's not the kind of thing you, you turn off, which is really mm-hmm. cool. And even if there, you know, there are days, for example, when I don't, practice formally either because for me usually in the summer it's because I'm deep in the bush hiking or you know maybe I'm doing a photography shoot that day I I still find that I'm doing certain things mindfully Hmm. so so it's not so much a recommendation that you do both I I do think it's very helpful to practice formally Mm -hmm. especially at the beginning I think because it does help you sort of practice the skill of being awake, I guess. Right. Okay. So for the formal practice for newbies like myself, uh, do you have any recommend other recommendations? I mean, I know some people use candles, some people use cushions, some people 
sit in the lotus position? Is there anything that we should do or have in our in mind when we do it, or should we just can we just do it? Yeah, no, you can just do it. <laughs> okay, that's this good. Just, this is no excuses. You don't need any special yep. equipment. You don't need any special gear. Mm -hmm. I only recently even got my meditation cushion, you know, and actually for me, it was more of, it's kind of like equivalent of a sticky. It's a really big cushion. Yep. I put it in a place where every time I walk by, I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down for five minutes and practice mindfulness. It's kind of like a really big physical reminder for me. Yeah. Yeah. But for the last, let's say, how long have I been practicing meditation now for about 10 years? For the last 10 years, I didn't have anything. If I am, you know, if I'm in a room, I've done this, for example, when teaching, you know, before my students walk in, okay, I'm going to practice mindfulness for a few minutes and I can do it standing. You can do it standing if that's happier for you. You can do it when you're lying down. If you like, the only thing I would warn you on that, mm -hmm. particularly at the beginning is a lot of, a lot of people who first start doing this fall asleep. And that's because we're really seriously sleep deprived as a culture. Yeah, absolutely. And if you fall asleep at night, my response to that is, you know, well, good job. You just fell asleep. But it is difficult. If the point of this is that you're trying to develop a practice, then I would suggest, I would suggest maybe not doing lying down right at the beginning or maybe doing it when you're really feeling awake, but no, anywhere, chair, cushion, couch, standing, sitting, doesn't really matter. It's really just, I think it's more about setting your intention. Right. For the next three minutes, I'm going to try to stay with my breath so that I can become aware of where I am in this particular moment. Hmm. And there's many different kinds of mindfulness meditations you can do as well. You know, there's the breathing one that I'm talking about, which is very simple yeah. and very hard. But there's other things you can do like body scans. I don't know if you've heard of body scans. Nope. So... A body scan is a guided meditation where the person who's leading the meditation will basically help you move through different parts of your body. And the idea is that it, it's, it's kind of, it's a great way to guide your practice when you're sort of, quote, focusing mm -hmm. on something, whether it's your breath or you're focusing on, you know, your left foot. And now we're going to move yeah. up to the shin and then up to the mm -hmm. side. It's a very good way of trying to stay grounded in this moment. Okay. So there's, there's different ways that you can approach it. Yoga is another, yep. Yep. mindful yoga is another way that you can practice. So there is an infinite number of ways that you can uh, engage in formal practice. It's more about the intention. Yeah. It, it really is a, a discipline, mm -hmm. a discipline that, you know, because it's so easy, I think, for me anyway, to say, I'm way too busy today to sit down and yeah. quote, do nothing for 10 minutes. Who has time for that? But the other thing actually that I didn't mention before is one of the other benefits I found is that I get way more done during the day. That's not what you're supposed to say. You know, mindfulness will help you do more stuff. No. But having said that, I'm far more productive because guess what? I'm more focused. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, what about the informal part? Do you recommend we sort of turn off our phones and our tablets and computers at some points, like even when I'm doing things I don't want to do and I don't enjoy doing, like washing dishes, should I sometimes turn off my phone and try and focus on doing that? Is that something that can help us develop a practice? Yes, absolutely. Now, 
So I'm, I'm famous on my stream for having very loud music whenever I have to do any tasks that I hate, such as gardening <laughs> or dishes or ironing or any of those other mundane domestic tax, tasks. But I do think that there's something to be said for approaching mindfulness with a sense of play and experimentation. Mm -hmm. And so there is something very interesting and maybe I'm doing this sort of as an academic, I like to experiment, right? So I'd like to see, okay, well, what will happen if I wash these dishes while paying attention to what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. It's a fascinating experiment. And I think if you can approach it with that kind of sense of, let me try. Yeah. Let's, let's see what happens. Can I actually pay attention to washing the dishes for yeah. 10 minutes or an hour in my house? Um, can I do that? It's really interesting because once you start observing, you notice that it's very difficult to pay attention to washing dishes for that long. And I guess similarly, you know, if, if there is something that you find interesting, like listening to music, what about experimenting with that? What about just listening, just listening to, music, yeah. to music? You know what I found? I hear a lot more. Yeah. And I'm listening to music mindfully rather than, okay, I have to do these five things simultaneously while listening to music. You know, it's, I guess the other thing I would say is research is showing that our propensity for multitasking is actually damaging our brains. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think there's a lot of value to, I, I, I often will say to people who ask me about my mindfulness practice that this is about single tasking. Yeah. It's not about multitasking. Mm -hmm. And so not that I'm saying, I'm not trying to prescribe that, you know, the next time you have to scrub toilets, you absolutely must do this mindfully. <laughs> but I will say that it's, a, it's, I think, a very life-affirming and now we know brain-supporting yeah. exercise to maybe, maybe just experiment, you know, okay, every day this week, I'm going to try one thing where I'm only focusing on that one thing and I'm going to try to pay attention while I'm doing it and see what happens. Hmm. Cool. I'll, I'll give it a try and see how it give goes. Give it a try. Let me know how it goes. Without, without music or podcasts and we'll see how it goes. It's, um, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I was running without music for a while and at first it was very hard, but it got, got a little bit easier after. And I, and I found I enjoyed, you know, being outside and, and I kind of enjoyed the run even more without the music, but uh, that's interesting. So why would you say you enjoyed the run more? I'm just curious. I, just, I found myself like noticing uh, my surroundings a little bit more. I noticed, you know, I appreciated the like I, I'd started looking at the houses in my neighborhood and and noticing things about the houses and noticing when I ran through. There's this little wooded area next to a golf course near where I live, um, and when I ran through there, I noticed some different kinds of trees and the way the light kind of filtered through the trees and that sort of thing. And it's something that I didn't notice when I, while I was listening to music. So it was a very interesting experience. Yeah. I, I guess that's, yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about for myself because I'm a photographer. I find, I have found that what has greatly improved my photography is my mindfulness practice because as a photographer, I mean, it's all about looking but really half the time we do things without really seeing anything that we're, you know, maybe physically pointed at, but we don't, yeah. we don't see the landscape or we don't see, I don't know, the way the light filters through the window and hits the dishes, whatever it might be. Right. It's an interesting thing to experience everything that we do while being awake. I guess the other, the other thing I found is that mindfulness has made me realize 
this is going to sound stupid, but it's made me realize how precious each moment is because you don't get that back. Yeah. As dumb as it sounds, you know, the 10 minutes you spend washing the dishes, you know, you're not getting that back. You know, and on the one hand, I, you know, might say, well, you know, forget it, then I'm switching to paper plates and never washing any more dishes. But um, besides the fact that that would be environmentally unconscionable, um, maybe we can approach it differently. Maybe we can approach this as yet another. I mean, think of how privileged we are to have those dishes to wash or whatever it might be. You mentioned photography a little while ago, and I'm just um, wondering how mindfulness has maybe affected your professional life in, in different ways? Mindfulness has greatly enhanced many aspects of my professional life. With photography in particular, so I'll give you, I'll give you a very practical example. Mm-hmm. I have been, let's just call it whining, <laughs> during the coronavirus because, right, we, we can't really go. There's so many restrictions. Mm-hmm. And I guess kind of like your running experience, I was, you know, I recently tasked, I, I lead a photography group for, um, for different members of the community who are looking to continue practicing their skills. And, you know, one of our meetings basically went like this, well, but we can't take any interesting pictures anymore because we're not allowed to go anywhere. Well, guess what? If you walk through your neighborhood mindfully, you can take all sorts of really interesting pictures because you're finally looking and seeing when you might not have seen it before. So the most, um, and this was a bizarre experience for me, but I recently did a shoot on ice cubes. Oh, wow. Very weird, right? Ice cubes. What's interesting about ice cubes? A lot. The interesting shapes in them, the way they crack when you take them out, the bubbles in them. And it was, a very life affirming thing that I could see something cool in an ice cube. Uh-huh. And yeah. Mindfulness has made me a far better photographer. No question. As far as my teaching goes, I have finally overcome mostly my fear of speaking. Mostly. <laughs> I think that it has helped me to share my passion for what I teach without being so bogged down by fear of, you know, well, what do they think of me now? And what do they think of me now? Which is really not helpful uh, because it gets, you know, in many ways, I think what mindfulness does is it lets us get out of our way. And by that, I mean a lot of our negative cognitive thoughts about, you know, our failures or how we're going to fail or how we're not good enough or whatever. When you're practicing mindfulness and you realize, oh, those are those are just narratives. I'm going to let those go and come back to my my breath or my body. It's a very freeing thing, mm. and I have found that I am a far more uh, calm, confident public speaker. Even though that was one of my number one fears. I mean, studies show that we fear public speaking more than death, which is you know interesting. So as as a lecturer, it has by far allowed me to connect and be more present with my students. And my students say that, you know, I don't know what it is about you, but I feel like you're really listening to me and, you know, and you really see me in a way that, you know, maybe other people don't see me, which I found really interesting. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I'm wondering if you notice any change in your students as well, as a result of bringing mindfulness into your teaching practice, do you, do you notice that they're more present as well and that maybe they're, they're getting a little bit more out of the, the lecture or the lesson? A hundred percent. So I started bringing mindfulness into the classroom, I guess about four years ago, 
when I started noticing not just a high level of anxiety, I mean, let's be honest, before any test or exam, you know, not just in the classroom, but anywhere, a job interview can produce yeah. pretty stressful, um, pretty stressful situation. So what I started noticing in the classroom that really concerned me was a level of anxiety that inhibited a student's ability to even just sit through a lecture or to, you know, write a paper or to focus enough on a presentation. And so as an experiment one day, I thought, you know, okay, well, what if I need a very short little meditation at the beginning of class, a couple of minutes? Yeah. And... You know, I did that and I thought, okay, well, I don't know what they're going to think of this, but, and I did, I do it with them. So I'll sit down in front of the classroom. If you walk by my class, it's a very weird thing because Janet's sitting at the front with her eyes closed and her hands in her lap. And, and I started getting more and more requests for that. Hmm. And at first I only did it in the classrooms where, you know, it applied, you know, very directly. And then I began to realize, well, no student can learn anything if they're not present. I mean, you can have your body in the classroom, but if you're not with your body, which we frequently aren't, mm -hmm. then that whole learning experience has been an utter waste of energy and time. Hmm. So it has changed the dynamic of my classroom. It has had the unexpected benefit of students feeling like they are in a very safe space. Mm -hmm. And because part of the heart of mindfulness practice is sort of a non-judgmental sort yep. of acceptance. Yep. And so I've, you know, students have said to me that this is a space where I feel like I can actually express my ideas because it's okay yeah. to experiment with thoughts. And for somebody like me who teaches, you know, literature or writing or critical thinking, that is really important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So those are the ways that I have found unexpected uh, there was one other thing that I noticed students grades started going up. <laughs> well, if that's, uh, if there's one reason that will get students to be more mindful, then it might be that one. Uh, they get to improve their grades as well. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of research out there that, uh, it seems anyways, that, that, uh, they're starting to notice the benefits of mindfulness with learning and, and especially with children in school and, and even post-secondary students as well that um, it's improving their capacity to learn. Um, so uh, I understand you're a parent as well. I, I wonder if how you bring mindfulness or how you encourage your children to be more mindful. So that one's a challenging one. <laughs> and it, it's something I've, I've wrestled with this a lot, both, both as an instructor as well as a parent and, and, and as a partner even. And that is to say, so here's the thing. When you start practicing uh, mindfulness, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, my God, I feel better. This is great. Okay, i got to get everybody around me to practice mindfulness. And so the danger is, you know, now you start being militant about prescribing that you need to practice mindfulness. Yeah. Five minutes a day and call me and, you know, call me in a week and let me know how you're feeling. So I've had to be very um, firm with myself to not do that. And so, you know, in the classroom, it's a little bit easier because I can say, okay, well, we're going to try this out. And the way I deal with it is by using very short meditations, or as you know, I'll bring in props like Smarties to do a little mindful eating meditation. That is actually how I did it with my kids. It was with, uh, let's do a very concrete kind of meditation. And I don't call it meditation. I'll say, let's have a little moment of calming down. 
And so, you know, it may be, it, it's been particularly important during the pandemic. One of my daughters in particular is very extroverted, very social. Mm -hmm. And so being cut off from her friends has had uh, a huge impact on her mental health. Mm -hmm. and, and we know, I mean, it's in the news constantly how this pandemic has affected us in terms of our mental health. And so that's really what it is. It's a moment of connection. So I don't, I, it's not on a calendar. It's not like when I say to my, you know, kids, look, not at like that. the mindfulness drill sergeant in your, in no. your household. No. Okay. There's nothing like that. So it's, you know, you know, my students, my student, my kids, for example, will get a list of chores. There's no mindfulness. You got to do this for five minutes every day, or, you know, you don't get your allowance at the end of the month, nothing like that. Uh -huh. So I think the way to do it as a parent, probably the most important thing you can do is to practice yourself mm. and model it mm. for your children. So my kids are constantly walking in on, you know, I'm, I, they see me, I'm on my cushion and, you know, my legs are across and they see me with my eyes closed. Oh, mom's meditating. We should wrap the paper. You know, it's this kind of, I think that's probably the most important thing I can do is to model mindfulness so for example, my daughters will call me on it now. And I was recently, I was um, at the dinner table and I had my phone, which is a no-no in our house. You don't have your phone in, and, and the phone is, you know, and so I'm reading my, my texts and my daughter says, well, mom, that's not very mindful, is it? And I'm like, okay, fine. So in some ways, my kids have become the mindful police in our house. And, um, you know, which is fine. So I don't prescribe it. I model it, and then if I find they're particularly upset, then I'll say, let's, let's just have a quiet moment together, and we're just going to sit together, and we're just going to focus on our breathing for, you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds. Yeah, like um, you mentioned the Smarty thing that, that um, I learned from you, and that's a great, great, uh, I don't want to call it a trick, but it is kind of a trick, isn't it, where you use candy, and um, you give two, two Smarties, and the first one you eat really quickly, the second one you savor it, you notice how it tastes, how it feels, uh, that sort of thing. I found that worked great with uh, my own students as well. It's, it's a really helpful because it really takes that, as we were saying before we started, um, it takes a very abstract idea. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. Be yeah. awake. I am awake. Mm -hmm. Well, no, if you pay attention to what you're eating, like a Smartie, it does taste different, either you know, yeah. sweeter or you start noticing texture or smell. I mean, Smarties, they have a smell. I mean, I never noticed that before I actually did this sort of little practice. But when you savor, whether it's a Smartie or, you know, savoring a moment where you're with a friend and you're really paying attention. Yeah. It really, uh, things just come alive. You know, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you mentioned earlier about how it's difficult to be mindful because it's difficult to, and part of being mindful is getting in touch with ourselves. And, um, a lot of people, when they get together nowadays, whether it's young people or even adults now, everybody's, you know, on their phone and their minds often somewhere else. Um, I'm wondering where, where you think that comes from? Why do you think it's so difficult to be in touch with ourselves, to be alone with ourselves and, um, and why it's such a good thing to actually do this, to be in touch with ourselves. 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, there's been all sorts of research on why we're so distracted. I, I mean, I often joke with my uh, students and my kids that our, our phones are sort of our new drug. We're addicted to these things. And, you know, I won't go into all the research, but there is a lot of research to show that and it's this vicious cycle because we want connection. And so we go to Twitter or we look at our tweets or whatever, or, you know, we want likes, yep. right? We're after these likes and studies have shown that when we, you know, say for me, if I post a picture on my Instagram feed and I get a lot of likes, studies have shown that I actually get a rush of endorphins. Yeah, it's like a sugar it's, high, right? Yeah. It's like a sugar high, exactly. So we want some sugar, give us sugar. <laughs> The only problem is, well, one of the problems is that the other, the darker side of this is that we're also seeing that we are far more isolated and lonely and rates of depression and anxiety have skyrocketed alongside of our obsession with these, you know, these sort of really disembodied ways of connecting with people. And I think if anything, I, I am very hopeful that the pandemic will teach us how important it is to have face-to-face -face interaction with people. I mean, isn't it kind of sad that you had to take that away from people to make them yeah. become aware of how important it is? Yeah, and yeah, so I, I think the, the reason that we need to get in touch with ourselves, if I may go back to, you know, because I'm a literary nerd, if I could just go back to a quote from Hamlet, Shakespeare's play, to thine own self be true. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need to start with being awake with ourselves before we can be awake with anyone else that we're speaking with. Because yeah. if, if, and I think you need to practice. It's, it's a practice because, you know, we tend to be on autopilot and how do you disable autopilot? You, you have to practice. You have to learn how to be aware that you're in the driver's seat and that this is your life and that it's this moment that counts because you're not alive in any other moment. You can only be alive in this particular moment. Hmm. And so I think that unless you can be awake for yourself, you can't be awake for anyone else. Hmm. Interesting. Very well said. Um, I'm wondering how, so when we start to develop our mindfulness practice, how do we know that we're improving or... <laughs> Um, how do we continue to improve as well, I guess, is another question. So, if I may, that word doesn't really apply with mindfulness, <laughs> if I may. Uh -huh. It's not about improving. In my experience, there are days where, because the problem with using the word improving is now we're applying a judgment to it. Mm -hmm. Right. And, you know, so I, I, I had an experience recently where I was doing a little bit of mindfulness with my students and I had a student come into the classroom and he's like, guess what, Janet? And I said, what? He said, my dad and I are meditating together now. And he went out and got me. I don't know. Apparently there's these little headbands you can get that will measure your mindfulness. And he's like, and now we're competing with one another. And I was horrified. <laughs> so I'm like, no, this is not a competitive sport. Leave it to the tech industry to monetize mindfulness, eh? Just uh, Well, yeah, there is that for sure. This idea of commodification of mindfulness, that's actually counter to the whole point of this. <laughs> so I said, okay, <laughs> really neat sounding toy, now throw it out. Um, I mean, I was jesting, of course, but 
that's that's not I think you need to suspend judgment because what is so awesome about mindfulness is that for a few moments you can free yourself mm-hmm. of all of those judgments am I good enough and you know am I successful enough am I ever going to finish this PhD is one that haunts me mm-hmm. you know am I a good enough mother daughter you know sister wife whatever it's we really prison ourselves in these kinds of external um, def- definitions of success, if you will. Yeah. So I think you have to focus on the moment. There are times when I will, I'll get up from my session of formal practice and I'll say, well, damn, that was awful. And I realize, well, hang on a second. No, it, it, I may feel awful perhaps, mm-hmm. but feelings like our thoughts are things that pass. They come and they go. And so I try to remind myself, there's this really, it's a very, sounds like very psychedelic when I heard this phrase from John Kabat-Zinn, but how does he put it? Pay attention to your awareness of your sort of feelings of whether you're improving or not improving. And you'll realize that that awareness of it is not concerned by these constructions of, you know, am I getting better today than I was yesterday? I think for me, the idea or the sensation that I have that things are brighter and more wonderful and that I'm really there and present for, say, time with my children or my partner or in my classroom or when I'm shooting and I see, I, you know, I quote develop, we don't develop, but, you know, when I look at my picture, I'm like, wow. You know, things are so much more radiant. That is actually what encourages me to keep coming back to mindfulness practice. So mm-hmm. I've, I've tried really hard to let go of the narrative of, you know, I'm a pro meditator now. It's not, it's not how it works. Or I've got to meditate for, I meditated for 30 minutes last week. So I got to get up to 40 minutes this week, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because there there are times when I will sort of wake up, so to speak, in the middle of you know, whatever it is that I'm doing. And that will be far more life affirming mm-hmm. than the 20 minutes I spent on my cushion trying to bring my attention back to the breath and then getting up going, well, that was a waste. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's not something that we can measure in, in the traditional ways we like to measure, mm-hmm. you know, success and that sort of thing. I guess that's, that's a probably a good thing, right? That's probably one of the benefits of it is we don't have to measure. We don't have to judge. We don't have to measure it. Exactly. And, and even, you know, if you sort of meditate and then you, you know, I, there are moments or, or maybe I'm having a really busy week and maybe for four days I don't meditate. And, you know, the, the traditional narrative for me is, oh, my God, I can't believe you stopped meditating. This is terrible. And then I realize, well, hang on a second. The fact that I'm aware that, you know, I did meditate is already mindfulness. So I'm good. It almost sounds like an easy out, doesn't it? But it's because I, I if, if the whole point of this is to be awake for my life, then that fits the bill. Have you noticed any, I, I know there's research about a number of benefits. Have you noticed your sleep improved, your memory, your relationship, compassion? These are all some things that came up when I was looking into mindfulness. Have you noticed any of these things improve, have improved in your life since uh, you started practicing mindfulness? Yes, I have struggled with insomnia for quite a long time, and um, it has improved dramatically. 
Mm-hmm. I sleep much better than I have had. And, and I think in part, it's also because I also turn off my devices mm-hmm. at night now. I, I do not look at a screen for at least an hour before I go to bed. So that, and I've gone back to, you know, books with pages and type, you know, those old fashioned things. Yep. And um, so I think that has helped, you know, sort of turning off all of the devices and then practicing meditation has absolutely helped. In terms of relationships, the, the thing I think that's helped the most is that I remember to pause before I speak. And that pause opens up all sorts of possibilities because quite, quite often, at least for me, I traditionally had a very bad temper. It's part of my Portuguese heritage, I think, right? You know, someone would say something and I'd be like, oh yeah, I don't do that as much as I used to. I pause for a moment now and actually am aware of how what I'm saying may cause harm to the other person or to myself. Hmm. And so I think the first principle that I, I think that the first principle that I hold most dear to mindfulness is, is to each morning when I wake up to do no harm hmm. as best as I can. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it's absolutely improved my, you know, you can ask my kids, I don't yell as much as I used to. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm calmer and I'm a better listener, I think most importantly. Huh. Wow. Uh, so many benefits. I think uh, if there's, um, um, it, uh, it seems like there's no bad reason to start mindfulness or there's no downside to it really. Um, well, yeah, or, I don't see any. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you feel that we should uh, talk a little bit more about or anything else you want to add to one of your previous answers or anything at all? Any last thoughts? I think probably the only thing that I would add that I, or at least emphasize is I noticed that at the beginning when, at least I hear this from my students a lot, when they first are introduced to this concept of, of mindfulness is to, if you can, as best you can, to suspend that judging voice in your head because what I find with a lot of students is, you know, they'll do it for the minute or two when they're with me and then they'll admit to me, you know, Janet, as soon as I stopped your class, I no longer did it. And it's because I just couldn't do it. And so I guess I would just emphasize that this is one of those things that you play with, you experiment with. And if you struggle with, you know, mindfulness for 10 minutes because studies show that that's the best, you know, uh, optimal time, I would say let go of that and try for shorter moments uh, where you can simply pay attention. I mean, the body breathes whether we pay attention to it or not. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's, I guess I would just encourage people to keep trying. I, I do think that it's very easy to give into pessimism, particularly these days. Yeah. And one thing I will say with mindfulness is it, it sort of, it intervenes in that sort of propensity we have to, you know, everything we're, we're doomed and, you know, climate, global warming and the pandemic and, you know, people are losing their jobs and so many bad things are happening. But in this moment, I'm okay. In this moment, I'm breathing. And so I think if you can just do that every day, I think that it will shift how many of us function. And if we can be more mindful, I think, I think that there will be more optimism in the world. 
um, because I think too many of us are very mindless in our actions. Not that I want to name any names, but I'm sure we all know who I'm thinking about. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, well, definitely. I, I love that you bring um, an approach of fun, playfulness, experimentation to mindfulness. I think that's very refreshing and uh, very well said about um, how, we, how, it's, how important it is with uh, lots of uncertainty and, and doom and, and on the horizon seeming never-ending doom on the horizon right um well thank you so much uh for talking to me janet that was very very informative very helpful i'm i'm excited to start trying my own mindfulness practice in my life and uh if listeners are interested in seeing janet's mindfulness work they can go to mindfulprof.com and if they have any questions they can reach out to you on linkedin your linkedin is I believe it's, if you just Google Janet Milotice, you'll find it there. I'm also happy to, um, there's an email address that you can just email me at on the Mindful Prof website. So that might be a more direct way to just send me an email that way. And I'm happy to answer any emails. Uh, I don't, I don't mean to give you more work, but, um, but I don't think you'll get too many emails. <laughs> Um, well, so anyways, thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me and taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, that was, that was very lovely. That was great. Thanks a lot. That's my pleasure. Well, there you have it, fellow amateurs. 10 minutes of sitting still a day is all it takes to get all these amazing benefits. Lower heart rate, blood pressure and anxiety, higher resiliency, awareness, focus, productivity, sleep, and more. I have a feeling it's not as easy as I make it sound, but it can't be that difficult, right? I can't wait to find out. Thanks once again to my guest, Janet Mello Tice of mindfulprof.com. Be sure to check out her work. And thank you, listener, for joining me in this conversation. If you have anything to say, feel free to drop me a line at our website, amateurpod.com, where you can also find subscribe links and more. Be mindful, my friends, and remember, there is a teacher in everyone you meet.